1: But one thing that I want to say to our entrepreneurs, the ones that are sitting listening right now who are like, I really want to do this, but I am so worried, is to think about life in increments of a year or two. If you see the cost of healthcare and you extrapolate it over 65 years, it's overwhelming. But allow yourself, if you have the financial runway to experiment with entrepreneurship, you don't have to have all the answers right now, but if you have the financial runway to take a year, to take two years to explore it, then go from there. Because the worst case scenario, if you do have that bandwidth, is you're back to traditional employment, which is your reality right now.
0: You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazon. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Super duper excited to have you here as a insurance, health insurance expert, healthcare expert because I think this is the biggest block for so many people who are thinking about walking away from their careers whether it's for financial independence purposes or entrepreneurship purposes. So, thanks for being here. Oh, I am just thrilled
1: to be here. I love talking about this topic. I'm so passionate and it can be a big barrier for your audience. If we're looking at entrepreneurs, how do we figure out the solution for healthcare?
0: Yeah. All right. So let's dive in first to your own personal story. What's your connection with being now an expert in this space? What made you want to show up in that way?
1: I started actually investing my babysitting money when I was 12. I was always interested in investing and did it kind of quietly, didn't talk to many people about it, just walked myself down to a bank, and they sent me back to get my dad. And I started financial curiosity from there. I built up a nice nest egg with my babysitting money, spent time, traveled around the world, and then I ended up having a brain tumor. And so it wiped out everything I had built, starting from a very young age. I had brought myself through college. And it wiped everything out. So I learned at that point to navigate our US healthcare system out of frustration and necessity. So I had this brain tumor, had to learn how to walk again, rebuilt as a nurse to financial independence in my 30s. Work then became optional. I wanted more flexibility and I wanted to figure out what we would do with healthcare. And so I spent four years and spoke to hundreds of people in the financial independence community and compiled all that information. And so that's where the curiosity around the finance and healthcare began.
0: That's an incredible story. And I definitely want to dive into more details around a couple of different aspects that you touched on. So let's first start with your natural like curiosity for investing as a kid. As someone who comes from a marginalized community, that wasn't even part of the conversation for me and so many people who listen to this podcast. So how were you introduced to the concept of investing?
1: I've always kind of been a person who thought ahead. I put sunblock on when I was probably eight so that I could preserve my skin for my 40s. I was kind of left to my own devices. My dad worked a lot. My mom was really sick. And I thought, I want to go to college. So I got to figure out how to do this. So I took a bus to a woman investing conference when I was 12, you know, it's before you drive. So you got to figure out a way to get there. So I did that. And I said, you know, I've got time on my side. If you were me, what would you do? And I listened to their answers. They said, invest in property young. They said, start investing in the stock market. And so I wrote everything down in this little black notebook. And I did. That's where it all started.
0: <laughs> where did you find out about this conference? Because I'm assuming this is before like, you know, Google
1: this is back when you used to do people connections only pretty much or through mail i think that i saw it on a posting that used to be life only right i'm just a very very curious person and i don't take no for an answer very well and so i think i saw a posting for it somewhere and then i figured out well how am i going to get to do it? it didn't really occur to me that this would be that i would be unusual in that but when i arrived i was much younger than everybody and but i didn't let that stop me
0: yeah i love that i love the natural curiosity we are definitely alike in that respect i've always just wanted to understand how things work why things are the way that they are so i love that okay so you go to open an investing account at 12 they send you back home and tell you to get your parents what was your parents reaction when you brought this up to them
1: they were like Lynn, what are you doing again I always had these business ideas and these projects and these, you know, it kept me occupied. And I'm just this very curious person about everything and especially about people and what motivate them. And I also saw the potential of investing something now can be worth quite a lot more in the future. And I am very, very Caucasian. I did financially know that it was up to me to figure out my education and the costs around that. I knew that I was going to have that barrier. And I was very motivated to get over that barrier in whatever way I could because it was so important for me to have education.
0: I love that. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about kind of the money lessons that you learned from your parents and if that shaped any way that you operate now as an adult? We really didn't talk a lot about money growing up. I think I was always aware
1: that things were a bit tight. Somebody described their home growing up. And they said that they came from poverty. And I remember thinking that must have been really hard. And they described it. And I thought, Oh, that's sort of how I grew up. I never thought of it that way. But I was always aware that this was a factor in our life always. And I think growing up, I knew that I wanted to eliminate or at least reduce that as a factor for me as much as possible. It's very stressful to live in a situation where you're not quite sure how things are going to play out financially. I got very motivated to do something about
0: that from very young. That's a sentiment that a lot of folks who listen to the show can resonate with. It's just, you see kind of what you don't want to replicate from the financial perspective, and then that motivates you to either want to learn about something, or you end up making some similar mistakes and then end up having to undo some of that work because you realize that a lot of these a lot of the ways that we operate with money are can be subconscious and can be from what we saw growing up. Okay, so tell me about your investing journey in your teenage years. Like what were you doing? How did you start? So, I started with the very first thing I got
1: was a big mistake. It was a front-loaded mutual fund. I didn't know what that was. And who sells a front loaded mutual fund to a young kid, you know, and my dad didn't know. And so I learned very quickly, wait a minute, you're going to take 5% before we even get started. But I didn't figure that out for years. And I also didn't figure out that that is not how it always works. And then I figured out this is going to be a catastrophic type effect to a portfolio for anybody. So I started that way. With some early lessons. And then I moved to m- mutual funds. And probably the closest thing that correlates to it is index funds. But it took me kind of a few years to get to that place. And I realized that perhaps earlier than most, that I was not probably any better investor than anybody else. And so I was always just seeking to meet the market because the market does well over time, eight to 10%. And when we go to try to chase the market and try to get real high returns, we end up behind. So I was sort of like
0: this turtle in the race, slow and steady from a young age. That's how it's supposed to work, right? For most of us as investors, it's just literally taking the decision making out of it as much as possible, automating, making it just a regular habit is the powerful way that you build wealth, the lazy way that you build wealth. Okay, so you have this brain tumor diagnosis in your 20s after you've been diligently saving, investing, having a plan for your life. What were those initial first thoughts? Those first days like when you found out that you had a brain tumor and the life that you imagined was maybe in question?
1: The initial first thoughts that I had were what's my life going to be? I was married to my husband. And how old were you at this point? So I was 27. So we were married, we were just starting a life together. We had a house. And nobody could answer to me what this was going to be. What was, at first, I didn't know was my prognosis. Was I going to live through the year? I couldn't find any information about how much would this cost? Would this sink me? I didn't know. I had quite a bit of pain. And I didn't know, is this pain going to go away? It's all these things going through your mind, and you're not feeling very well either on top of that. Would I be able to keep my job? At that point, I was an ICU nurse, so I was working 12-hour shifts on my feet, pretty new nurse, very intense. Would I be able to keep this role after I have the surgery? And so my initial first thoughts were pretty dire and just a very, very clear reflection on I have to figure out what matters. So
0: here you are finding yourself in the healthcare system as an employee, but now also finding yourself as a patient. What was that like being on the other side of things? And also, can you talk about what the financial impact was to you and your family during this process?
1: Yes. So it was very interesting navigating healthcare from the perspective of a patient. I think One of the most startling realizations was I had a tremendous amount of pain one day after the surgery, and I was very sick, and I got taken to a hospital. I was in so, so much pain, and I said, can you give me something for the pain? And I remember the nurses saying, and I won't say what hospital this is, it was not my own hospital, but I could hear them whisper in the hallway, she has narcotics in her system. And I remember thinking, of course I do. I just had brain surgery. (laughs) And so it sort of implied that I was drug seeking and I was thinking, gosh, I've just had my head cut open and I think I have this pressure building up. That's kind of what I was thinking, but I was drifting in and out of consciousness, so full of pain. And that moment of how I was treated has forever affected how I operate as a nurse Because I never want somebody to not be believed for their symptoms, for their pain. It was so pivotal in how I operate. So those
0: were my initial first thoughts. And then from the financial perspective, what did this diagnosis and subsequent treatment do to you and your family?
1: So over the course of the next several years, I would end up having to pay about $100,000 out of pocket. So, this was back before the time of out of pocket maximums. I remember thinking, but I'm a nurse. I have insurance. I've done everything quote unquote right. There's no way that I would know to prevent this. It was a slow growing tumor. It had been accumulating for many years until I had gone essentially deaf in my left ear. So, over the course of the next several years, as I rehabilitated, I had lots of bills, people who were out of network all these things i didn't understand but it drove me to try to understand the system and also to understand how broken it was so now i had a perspective from the inside as a patient but also the outside perspective as a nurse and honestly i think that combination is really what's fueled me do the work that i do with folks in the entrepreneur community and the financial independence community about healthcare
0: yeah absolutely i mean that is a devastating financial impact for anyone. And this is why I think medical debt can be so, so detrimental to folks because it can just amass in ways that a lot of other things in life might not ever get to the point where you're like paying $100,000 for medical care. And the insidious thing, too, is like you literally have no idea how much any of this is going to cost until after the fact. It's not like you can go and shop around for services before you make the commitment, like you need the health care. Let's imagine
1: if we go to the supermarket and we want to buy laundry detergent, and they say, We're not sure how much that's going to be. We'll let you know in about three months. And then you end up with a bill that's 20 times what you expected because the cashier was out of network and you had no idea because they were in the building. We would not tolerate that with laundry detergent. There would be an uprising, but that is how our US healthcare system works. It is getting better in some ways. The out of pocket maximum limit is In effect, there's a federal out-of-pocket max, but it's a huge amount for most people. It's just kind of a broken system. So that's why I like to figure out how to navigate it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you were able to retire at age 40 after having this healthcare crisis, your financial plan basically disrupted and having to start from scratch. Talk me through the process of rebuilding and getting to the place where, you know, still achieving five was actually possible for you.
1: I would say that it's just at the very beginning of starting anything, the gains are almost imperceptible. And that's where people tend to give up. And that's where I almost gave up many times. So I'm restarting in 2008, 2009, while simultaneously also accumulating medical debt that just keeps coming in. But still believing that if I just contribute to the stock market, eventually it'll be okay. Every contribution, for those who remember 2008-2009, was a rough time in the stock market, in real estate, in the general U.S. and global economy. So I just continued with faith that the plan, if I was patient, would work ultimately. But I almost gave up many times. Once you get to a point where you save that first 10,000 and then first 100,000, work is incrementally easier after each segment. But the time people want to give up is at the beginning because you can't see the gains yet. In fact, you might look like you're losing, but that's the time to stay strong and
0: not give up. Absolutely. And so I think one of the barriers to financial independence for a lot of people is their daily cost of living, especially if you're in a high cost of living area. So for context, where were you or where are you located as you were pursuing financial independence?
1: Yeah, so I'm in the real low cost of living area of Seattle. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I am, though. And I think that helps, actually. So my husband, bless him, he's fantastic. He's a chef. He's actually been retired for nine years. So people assume I had some high... Tech salary to supplement my nursing wage or something. We really didn't. We really had below median incomes for the entire duration of the saving. Or they assume that we didn't live very nicely, but we have a nice house. We do a lot of DIY stuff, overlooks actually what used to be a golf course. Or maybe we don't have kids, but we have two little girls. So the big three things in a higher cost of living area, the big three expenses in any cost of living area, housing, food, and transportation. And I'd actually argue also three more, health care, taxes, and child care. So that's what I always argue for. So when you're in a high cost of living area like we are, you really have to look closely at all six of those to see are there ways to minimize expenses or to house hack And that really is the key because when you're in a lower cost of living area, say Indiana, places in the Midwest, there's a little bit more you can get away with. But in the higher cost of living areas, you really have to take a close look at expenses and how to think creatively around that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That was such a key part of my own journey, moving from the Northeast down to Florida, saving on state income taxes, lowering my cost of living. There was a lot that factored into my decision to move. And while I don't see myself staying here forever, it was definitely a pivotal part of accelerating my journey to FI because you're just able to save so much more of your income. And I'm curious for you about what percentage of income were you and your husband saving during this time? So I had no idea what percentage we were saving.
1: We just saved everything we could. I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and they asked me that question and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. And they said, well, that's not good enough to tell us. (laughs) And so I went back and I calculated and they do their due diligence. They looked at my records. You have to show the exact data. And so it forced me to reflect on that. And we were saving between 40 and 60% for a decade. I didn't think of it that way. I didn't calculate it. We just saved everything or invested everything or paid down debt, everything that we could.
0: I think for a lot of folks, when they hear that number, they're just like, well, you clearly cannot be enjoying your life. You must be just like eating ramen noodles and you never leave the house and you don't go on vacations and you haven't bought clothes in five years. What was life actually like during this process?
1: So we eat gourmet meals because my husband is a chef. (laughs) You lucked out there, honey. (laughs) Yep. That was all part of the plan. I'm a terrible (laughs) cook. I really am a terrible cook. So we learned a lot actually, and we're happy to teach folks about having delicious gourmet, healthy meals that don't cost a lot. And we're very popular because we smoke our own artisan cheeses off the deck from cherry wood that we harvest from our own trees. So There are ways to get your needs met that are so wonderful and delicious and don't have to be expensive. Food is a big way we save because we make a lot of, and when I say we, I mean my husband (laughs) cooks a lot of the food. With housing, we would rent out a room sometimes. This was before kiddos. Our kiddos are very loud, so that's not realistic now. But there with cars, we had Toyota And then we had a Lexus, which is like a Toyota on the inside. And we've had those for 20 years. When you don't have a car payment for 20 years, that is hundreds of thousands of dollars at the end of a lifetime, hundreds of thousands. And people think, well, an old car is not reliable, but our old cars have been more reliable than our neighbor's new cars. It's really about getting a good car and figuring out what you value. And for us we valued time freedom, and so looking closely at these expenses was a huge part of that.
0: I love it. All right, so I think we have a ton of great perspective that helps us kind of understand your story up until this point. So let's talk to the folks who are pursuing financial independence right now. You know, they're doing their thing, they're saving 50% plus of their income, but they are very, very hesitant on pulling the trigger because of healthcare. What are some options that are realistically accessible to folks who are deciding to pursue early retirement?
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. over a hundred folks on what do they do, what have they enjoyed, what are all the options. And it really kind of boils down to two main options for most people. Healthcare.gov has a list and it will take you to your area that you live, but I don't quite like their site as much. So I actually recommend Health Sherpa, which is an aggregator of all the healthcare options in your area. And they just do a better job than the government site. And so I recommend people go to Health Sherpa, enter their zip code, enter their details, and see what's available in the area. Because what they'll be able to do is choose a plan that has, they can even include if they want a doctor. Health Sherpa allows for that. They can even include if they want a certain medication and how much that might cost for copays. It's really, really wonderful. And actually, for most people, that ends up being a great solution. People assume that it's going to be so terrible. But in many cases, it's actually not. Right now, there are subsidies for folks, depending on your income level, for the premiums, not so much for the deductibles and out-of-pocket maxes. So I recommend folks take a look at that site, and that'll probably address what 80% of your audience would want. There is another alternative to that that is very popular. So, option number one, going to Health Sherpa. Option number two, that I see second most often, is using something called a health sharing ministry. And that is technically not insurance, it's a group of people who pool their money together. They tend to be a healthier cohort because it's not health insurance. They don't have the regulations that require them to take everybody. So you have to have pretty much no pre-existing conditions. You might pay an extra for, you know, if you have a higher BMI. They usually don't take folks who BMI is body mass index. They usually don't take folks who are smokers or who do uh, what they call sinful activities, (laughs) which I guess, drunk driving.
0: Because these organizations typically can have like a religious affiliation sometimes, correct? Exactly. They
1: often do have a religious affiliation and their concept is that they share another's burdens. The one that I personally like the best in all my research is Sidera. And I just really like how they have things set up. And if we were going to do a health sharing ministry, it probably would have been them. Some cons are that they typically won't cover things like birth controls or vasectomies. They are not technically insurance. So if at some point legislation changes, you might be recognized as somebody who didn't have insurance. A lot of them, I'm very cautious about health sharing ministries. You want to make sure that they've been around a long time because you can imagine a, a large group of people pooling money together. If you have something sudden like a pandemic and a bunch of people need a bunch of healthcare at one time, if they don't have a large enough, what they call float of money in reserve, that can sink them. So I recommend lots of research about the company. One thing that might be useful for your audience is, my website has a comparison of all of these things, the pros and cons. So if you don't wanna do the research yourself, that is
0: there on my fihealthcare.com website. We'll definitely link that in the episode show notes, as well as all the other resources that we talk about in this episode. So definitely dive in if you have a specific scenario that you want to tease out. Let's talk about a situation like yours where you have a pre-existing health condition. Sometimes insurance can be cost prohibitive in those scenarios. So what do you tell folks who Know that they have a pre existing condition, and that might be why they're so hesitant in walking away from like an employer sponsored health insurance plan. Mm.
1: So, regulatory wise, when you go to the offerings of, say, Health Sherpa, they are not allowed really to select you out because of a pre existing condition. That used to be legally allowed, people just could be denied. But if you think about it, Most of the population in the U.S. actually does not have employer health care. We have a lot of gig workers. We have students. We have early retirees. We have entrepreneurs. And so they all need solutions for health care, and I believe. And a lot of people don't have anything in place. But for a lot of people who don't or entrepreneurs or early retirees, that option can be a very, very good one.
0: Okay, let's talk about health savings accounts. These are really popular with a lot of folks, but especially folks in the financial independence space, and I'm a huge fan of them. So for folks who don't necessarily know, A, what it is and how you can get one, can you talk us through that process? Yes.
1: So health savings accounts. First, I want to say there's two things that you'll hear that have similar acronyms a flexible spending account, and a health savings account. So sometimes you'll see FSA or HSA. FSA is money that you put in for a specific purpose, usually with your employer, and you do not get to keep that money. So I want to be super clear because people mix those up. HSA, HSA is what Mama Lynn loves because this is money that you get to keep. So health savings account. Health savings account, our government allows us to have those if we have a high deductible health plan, which means you pay quite a bit of money usually before your health insurance kicks in. They allow these health savings accounts so that it encourages you to set money aside in case you do need to meet your deductible. And so that you'll have the money there. However, many people don't need to meet their deductible in a year, and you'll get to keep that money. And you usually are able to invest a good portion of that money. So I like HSAs for folks who are generally healthy. They don't generally meet their deductibles. They are okay with some level of risk. If you're a person, though, if you think if I get a stomach pain and you won't go to the ER because you're worried about paying your deductible, if you're that kind of person, I'd really caution you because there's a lot of data that shows people wait to get care if they have a big deductible. So I do like it for that specific population. Healthy doesn't tend to meet, willing to take the risk, but I also have the caution there.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to kind of differentiate yourself. I've been a high deductible insurance plan subscriber, if you will, for many years because I'm never meeting my deductible. You know, I go for my preventative stuff, which typically doesn't have a deductible associated with it. As I get older, I probably shift to something that is a little more expensive from the monthly premium level, but requires less of my own upfront investment just because, you know, that's kind of the chances that increase as age increases. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that you can take that HSA with you even after you leave a corporate job, right? So I still have access to a high deductible insurance plan and so I'm able to still contribute to that HSA as a result. So just because you started it with your job doesn't mean that you can't continue to contribute after you leave. You just have to make sure that you're still covered by a high deductible plan. Can you also talk about the tax benefits associated with those accounts cuz it's like the sexy like triple tax benefit that I don't think a lot of folks realize is a very unique feature of HSAs.
1: Yes, I would love to. In fact, that's what I wanted to talk about next and The HSA is very special in the way that it's tax-free when you contribute to it. It grows tax-free and it's tax-free when you withdraw. There is nothing else like that. So they call it triple tax advantaged. There are limits, of course, that it has to be withdrawn for health-related expenses. But what a lot of folks do and a lot of folks in the financial independence community use the HSA as a savings vehicle basically for a long time. And we certainly don't know the future, but I don't imagine the HSA is going away anytime soon. So it's this vehicle you can contribute to, it grows, and you can withdraw at a later time. So even if you accrue your medical expenses now, you can pay for them if you want to out of pocket, save the receipts and reimburse yourself at a future date. So There is no other vehicle like this, and so it has a tremendous growth potential. And the things that it can be used for are pretty flexible. There's usually big lists of what can be used for an HSA, and there are lots of things that are in that list that we're going to need as we age. So it's going to have great use in the future. Or you can save your receipts if you're using it now and you want it to grow tax-free because we've talked about those benefits of compound interest. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's even like stuff like, uh, I think over the counter medications. Now you can pay for them like sunscreen, like all a bunch of random stuff that you wouldn't think qualifies like a medical healthcare expense, but the list keeps getting longer, which is really cool.
1: Yeah. It's a huge list. So definitely have a look and don't assume things aren't covered. I do believe that over time things will change and they'll probably be added. That's what I'm guessing over time is that they'll add more and more. But yes, it's a huge, very
0: comprehensive list that some things you wouldn't even think of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk to entrepreneurs as well because that's a big part of this community. And another reason why people tend to be afraid to make the leap into entrepreneurship is because they don't know what they're going to do with retirement and they don't know what they're going to do for health insurance. So would the strategies that we talked about from the financial independence lens also relate to what entrepreneurs should be doing? Yes, it's
1: actually exactly the same. And I didn't really discover this until I had compiled this huge database. And I said, this is the problem that entrepreneurs have And what's so interesting, I don't know if you've noticed this too, many early retirees become entrepreneurs, right? Usually by accident too. (laughs) By accident. And so it's the same group of people with the same type of problem in a way where we're looking for health insurance or healthcare options outside of traditional employment. So this is like the majority of the US population. So it shouldn't be as confounding as it is. And that's why I wanted to list out all these options, but really the same thing for entrepreneurs, those two main options, just going to an aggregator choosing or considering one of those like Sidera, a health sharing ministry. Yeah.
0: I think another option too that I've seen folks entertain as we become more of a global society and folks have the ability to like run businesses location independently is this idea of like leaving the United States. Because as we know, the system here is broken. And a lot of other places in the world have figured out something along the lines of universal healthcare, basic social structure that will cost you from a tax perspective, but will avoid you finding yourself in a situation like you where like you could face freaking bankruptcy because of an unexpected illness, right? So what are your thoughts about moving out of the US to access healthcare?
1: Yes. So that was a really big section that I covered when I came up with this database, because that's really popular in both entrepreneurs and early retirees. And especially now we have so much location independence possibility that I think, entrepreneurs and early retirees were already doing. And now we have just much more all over adoption of this concept. So I love it. I outlined three different types of insurance possibilities and the pros and cons of each. So one option could be moving and living in another country or becoming a resident. There is also the option for travel insurance as you're traveling around And then there's also the option of living in the U.S. and going to another country for specific procedures, which is called medical tourism. So those are the three main flavors of having health care or health coverage outside of the U.S. All of those options are less expensive than the U.S. Many global health insurance companies say we'll cover everywhere except the U.S., because we are just so out of line with healthcare costs. We charge over twice as much as a function of our GDP of any other industrialized country. It's really insane. That is nuts. It is. Isn't that crazy? It like keeps me up at night. They're expecting that healthcare inflation will continue until 2074.
0: I mean, this is unacceptable. It's not sustainable either. Like there's no way that this is okay in the long term. I think people are getting
1: tired of this inflation. So I think people are starting to speak up more and more to say, wait a minute, this is really, really crazy. We have a lot of lobbyists. I won't get political, but it's just sort of, we have a lot of very, very expensive lobbyists who would like to keep the system the way it is. And so that's why we have what we have, why it's so important to understand how to navigate it so that we can have entrepreneurs. I love your entrepreneurs. You guys are the ones bringing innovation to the country. We need to figure out your health insurance so that you're willing to take these leaps and create new products that we need. It's
0: so frustrating because I think a lot of what stops people is A, just the lack of Access to the information, which is why I'm so grateful that you have decided to like step into this sphere and become, you know, an expert that, that is aggregating all this information because it can feel very piecemeal, right? Like nobody's going to give you a roadmap, a blueprint to like how to do this successfully, whether we're talking about early retirement or entrepreneurship. A lot of it's like stops and starts. Hopefully, you know somebody who can give you advice, but the fact that you're doing this and having this platform is really, really important. So thank you for the work that you do. Because you could be doing anything with your time and you decide to do this.
1: (laughs) Can I tell you something really exciting that I haven't told anybody yet? I was debating, should I tell you yet? I think I'm going to tell you. So I was not feeling super well earlier this year. I ended up getting pretty sick and I'm better now. But one of the things that I lost was I couldn't think very well. And I'm a spiritual person. So I prayed. I said, one of the things that I lost was all these equations in my brain. So before you think I'm nuts, I'll tell you. So I went to my physical therapist and I said, they said, what are your goals for getting better? And I said, well, I want these equations back. And she goes, wait a minute, that's not a normal average thing. And I didn't really know that that was that weird because I've always sort of thought in equations and models and, but I lost the equations. And so I prayed if I get these equations back, I'm going to help people because I have this concept, a few different complex equations in my mind, that one of them is calculating the cost of U.S. healthcare over a lifespan. And so I went to Camp Phi, Colorado, which is a financial independence meetup. And I said, I'm getting better now. And I've got this equation in my mind. Will you guys help me get it onto paper, get it so that it's in a usable calculator form, because right now it's colors and symbols and nobody can use that. And we actually did it, we actually did it. And I would not have done it without these brilliant people meeting in the mountains of Colorado with me, believing that we could actually do this. So I don't think it exists in the U S yet, but we have a calculator and now it's a usable calculator that we're going to announce by the time this goes live, that will calculate the cost for an individual over their lifespan for healthcare. And so I'm very excited. I was offered to perhaps license it, but I'm choosing to turn that opportunity down from a very big company and I'm going to be making it for free to the user. So I want your audience
0: that. That's incredible. What a gift. And I think it's going to help so many people then be able to factor in that cost into their overall financial independence goal, which is so important. So that's incredible.
1: Yes. And I just want to be very clear. I didn't do it myself. It was a group of us, nine of us, that came together. Because I don't think an equation like this, as complex as this is, would have been, this is the best form it could be with multiple brilliant people. We had mathematicians, software engineers, developers, and a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and it looked like a beautiful mind up there with all these equations and symbols. <laughs> and so I'm very thrilled at Because I think that your audience members, especially those seeking financial independence, might find a lot of use in it.
0: One thing I want to ask you about is some rumors that I've heard that it might actually be more beneficial from a cost perspective to just pay cash for medical expenses versus like using insurance. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah,
1: I do. If you ask me anything about healthcare, health insurance, (laughs) or cost, I'm sure I have an opinion for you. So be careful. So we have finance and then we have human behavior, right? Those are the two factors we have to look at. In many cases, it will make sense to pay cash and you can ask for a cash discount. The problem with having no insurance is if something catastrophic happens and I have lots of examples of people who decided that they were going to self-insure, very healthy, and then they'll have something like a broken leg and nobody can tell them how much it's going to be. And we don't know, it might be 5000 it might be $73,000, we are not really sure. Nobody knows. And then even if they tell you, they say it's not a guarantee. So you have to be, in a way, okay with that possibility. Very, very small, but that is a possibility. And a lot of people will say, I'm okay, I'm fine with that, because let's say they've saved up $2 million, I don't know, I can handle a $100,000 medical bill. But can you? If somebody says this bill, we don't know how much it is, are you going to feel so anxious and worried as you're trying to heal that, wow, that was 10% or 20% of your portfolio now wiped out or unknown to be determined. So for folks who are thinking that, unless they truly feel like they would be okay with that scenario, I recommend what they call catastrophic coverage, which is really high deductible, really high out of pocket, but at least you know where your top number is going to be. So, I think in some cases with small things, it may make sense, especially if you have a high deductible plan and you don't expect to meet your deductible. And the providers love it usually because they don't have the billing mess. But for everything,
0: I would be cautious about that just because of that possibility. Yeah. We experienced that in 2020 when my father fell off of the one story garage. And broke his leg, and we got the bill, and it was like almost a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, "How the hell do people do this without insurance?" Because he was only responsible for, you know, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars out of pocket, but I'm just like, you could literally be like one accident away from like financial ruin at any time. And that is not a way to live.
1: It isn't. So then you go, "Well, this isn't right. I'm gonna fight this. Well, then you're using energy. You know, you're retired or you're trying to start your company. Now you're using energy to fight insurance plans who have lawyers and form letters to deal with all of this. So it's just, I actually care about time more than money. So I think about everything for me is built around does this allow time freedom or not? And if you're going to save some costs that could inhibit your time freedom in the future, just to think about is that trade off worth it? I'm also kind of a, Anxious person with bills. I know that about myself. I don't want to get surprise bills. I don't like them. So I don't want to worry about that kind of stuff. But some folks are fine with that risk.
0: Yeah. I'm built the same way as you. The way my anxiety is set up, I don't need any surprises.
1: No, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So what would your advice be for folks who haven't yet made the transition into early retirement or entrepreneurship? But maybe it's like, a couple years down the line. Is there anything that they should be doing proactively right now to kind of prepare to make that transition as smoothly as possible?
1: Yes. And I love this question so, so much. One of the things I'd look at is, are there any procedures or surgeries that you're thinking about doing? Some folks are thinking about a knee replacement. Some folks are thinking about a vasectomy, that kind of stuff. What are those things that Maybe we will be in the next few years and it would just be nice to eliminate that as a variable when you have your own plan. It just takes a layer of stress off. So consider that and kind of use the time to tune up your health if you can, right? Because then you help with that variable a bit. And then what I'd also do is look what is available now. So we don't know the future, right? The future is unknowable, but the closest we have is what's happening now. So take a look at what your options are now because then you'll start to be able to get an idea of what they will be in two years when you decide to take the jump. So those are really the big two things. But one thing that I want to say to our entrepreneurs, the ones that are sitting listening right now who are like, you know, I really want to do this, but I am so worried, is to think about life in increments of a year or two. If you see the cost of healthcare and you extrapolate it over 65 years, it's overwhelming but allow yourself, if you have the financial runway to experiment with entrepreneurship, you don't have to have all the answers right now, but if you have the financial runway to take a year, to take two years to explore it, then go from there. Because the worst case scenario, if you do have that bandwidth, is you're back
0: to traditional employment, which is your reality right now. I really love that perspective. I think it really puts things into perspective when you realize that the worst case scenario of you having to go back to like a nine to five job is most people's regular existence. So is it really that bad or that scary of a decision to make, knowing that you're giving yourself that permission to go back if that's what makes the most sense? And I think it's also important to note as an entrepreneur, if you don't have access to healthcare through a spouse- you can actually deduct the cost of your healthcare premiums as a business expense, right? So, this idea that like there's no benefit to making this transition is not necessarily true. This could be a, a great tax savings on top of you also being able to get the coverage that you need. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If any of your listeners are wondering about all of the options, and we'll link this in the show notes, I have a list of 22 options. So, and we've gone through most of them, high deductible health plan, using your spouse's plan, self-insuring, catastrophic, Medicare after the age of 65. That'll all be listed for folks. So they don't have to run around writing notes because I have it all outlined for them so that they can kind of take time to compare for themselves.
0: Love that. Lynn, this conversation has been amazing. So tell folks where they can continue to find you, follow you, learn all the things that you're working on and how folks can actually work with you if that's an option.
1: Okay, great. So fihealthcare.com, which is financialindependencehealthcare.com is a passion project. I do not make money off of it, but I love providing it as a resource for folks. And that's where you'll find the knowledge base, which has the 22 options listed. And that's where you're going to find the calculator which I believe is the first in the country. It's open source, so I'm sure there will be many more after that. And that's a good way to find me for healthcare-related things. Separately, I also do financial coaching for nurses. It's very specific, So, if, but if you have any nurses that are in your audience or nurse entrepreneurs, I have a individualized program where I take folks who want to be part-time, who are working full-time, and move them into part-time status, folks who are burnt-out nurses, We look at the financial aspect and the healthcare aspect, and that can be at com. So for individual coaching, I can be found there. I just thank you so, so
0: much for having me. It's been a delight. (laughs) Thank you. This is such an incredible resource that you've put together for our community. So I want folks to go and check it out because if you are on the fence about making a decision about financial independence or entrepreneurship because of healthcare, I want you to know that there are options. You have resources out there like this incredible platform that you've built, Lynn. So thank you for the work that you're doing to empower us to really be able to make decisions that allow us to create the life that we want. Right at home.
1: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a
0: free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, The Ultimate Blueprint for Becoming Poderosa with Your Dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.